This is the Dabalon Podcast. My name is Trent Reynolds, and I am talking to artists about the art materials and techniques they're inspired by. This is episode number one. Number one. So... I would like to share some of the ideas that are motivating this podcast. Art materials aren't just the tools artists use to express themselves. Often the materials are also the inspiration that motivates an artist to create. You might have heard artists talk about creativity as a two-way process and not just an artist imposing their will onto their medium of choice. It's a conversation. Materials each have a unique voice. They teach and inspire. They are the muse and the adversary. So the question I want to explore in this podcast is, why do artists choose the materials they create with? And how do those materials inspire them and empower them to create? I love learning about new materials and techniques and what they make possible. So selfishly, I'm here to learn and feed my own art materials habit. I'm also here, however, as a teacher of and a believer in the importance of creativity and creation. The world is full of opportunities for us to create order, meaning, and beauty, to become more complete and more fulfilled. So I'm also recording this podcast to encourage more people, you, to stop waiting and wondering and get busy making art. Get your hands dirty and let the raw materials of art making inspire you. I would like for this podcast to last, to go the distance. It takes time and money to make this thing, which is where you come in. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing at dabblon.com. That's D-A-B-B-L-E-O-N.com. Uh, which is my personal website where I host art classes and many other art-related projects in addition to this podcast. If you don't want to subscribe, you can also make a one-time contribution, which would also be very much appreciated. Another way to support this podcast in a very important and massively helpful way is to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and to share it with a friend or more than one friend. And now let's get to it. For my very first guest, I invited on my good friend, Jackie Leishman. It was a wonderful conversation as expected, and I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with artist Jackie Leishman. In, in my periphery, as I'm watching images go by on, on Instagram, and it seems like I'm hearing about lots of shows that you're in and artwork that's being bought. and Yeah, there's a lot of art being bought. Which, what, which is fantastic. <laughs> that is fantastic. So so give me, give me the overview. What's been happening? Well, I mean, um, I had quite a few things kind of lined up and then, you know, um, all of that got put on hold uh, for right now. But, um, you know, there's still a lot of people that are buying my work and, um, just based off of Instagram, truly. I mean, uh, which I find to be incredible. 
Well, tell me how that works, because that's that's actually something I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are interested in. But I know personally, I've I've been a little bit hesitant and not really known how to approach selling work on Instagram or like what's what's your general process? Honestly, I I don't quite understand it either. And so, <laughs> um, you know, I see people have a lot of different kind of methods about it. I've always I kind of was just using Instagram as kind of a just a way to put my work out there, right? Because it, it's kind of the great equalizer. I felt like, um, you know, especially when I was in graduate school and afterwards and social media wasn't really that big yet. Um, uh, there were so many gatekeepers for mm-hmm. your art to be seen, right. By mm-hmm. the general public. I mean, if, if the galleries didn't want it, no one was going to see it. And um, I feel like social media has kind of allowed more people's work to be seen. I've really enjoyed that. And so I was using Instagram as that. And then, uh, just as a, a way for people to see what I'm doing. Um, and then I would get these DMs, you know, saying, well, how much is that? You know, I, I want to buy that. And it's like, oh, okay. You know, so it was kind of this very organic thing. And it still is for me, although I did put a store on my website to make it easier for people. So so on Instagram, will you, when you make a new piece, you'll post that on Instagram always or is that just like you you have a like a select number of things that you'll post on Instagram and then the rest on your website no it's usually I post on Instagram like you know I use Instagram as just kind of a way to um, give a peek into my studio life right like mm-hmm. what I'm reading what I'm thinking about um, you know a little bit get to know kind of there's more that goes into the work than ju- than just what's visual. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, just to give people a little glimpse of that, um, you know, I'm not the best at that. I'm sure I could do videos and and do more, but um, that's kind of where I'm at in my comfort level of what Mm -hmm. I'm willing to share. And um, yeah, so and then as something's finished, um, you know, it also goes up there. Sometimes I show things in process, you know, and it'll say it's in process. I don't necessarily say if it's for sale or not. And people have just reached out to me. And so that's something I'm thinking about going forward. Do I let people know if the piece is available, you know, in the initial post? Is that, is that something I want to do? Um, you know, cause in a lot of ways it makes it feel cheap to me. It feels right. like I'm always trying to sell something to people. Right, right. That's not necessarily the plan. Although I do want the work to sell because I, I am an artist and I do want mm-hmm. the work to go out into the world. And, um, you know, I want to have the money to keep making more work. Like there's a, I don't know if it's, it's romance or if it's snobbery or, or exactly what it is that's built into us when we go to grad school. But I, it seems like, and I, I'm curious to get your, your opinion, like in grad school, you learn that, you know, you shouldn't show your work in certain contexts. Like, you know, you wouldn't want to show your work in a coffee shop because, that is uh, kind of sets up a uh, like an expectation for pricing, yeah. you know, or, you know, you wouldn't want to show in a certain kind of gallery, maybe like kind of a crafty gallery that's showing a lot of different, you know, anyway, like I think over the course of you get kind of indoctrinated with how you ought to present your work. And, and again, I don't know if it's, it's like this kind of pretentious, you know, ness or, but I, I feel that in myself kind of leaking into what I feel comfortable sharing on social media and how I present it because I'm, I guess maybe there's an underlying fear 
that if I present it in a certain way, it will cheapen the work or kind of shoot myself in the foot or, you know, somehow uh, not feel authentic or, you know, or, or appropriately valued or does that make sense? Oh, I, I completely understand that. I do think grad school does a lot of good things for us. And I think it does some really bad things <laughs> Right. Um, because at the end of the day, unless you have a trust fund, you do need to sell that work. Absolutely. You know, I mean, right. you know, I, I have this, I think we're, I'm going to kind of go off on a tangent here, but it's something I often think about and, I wish that there would be more of a conversation and about who is going to be your patron. Mm-hmm. I mean, not everybody's independently wealthy. If you, you know, um, if you are, then, then good for you. I mean, that's great. You can be, you know, as free as you want to be in your, you know, um, but for the most majority of people that want to be artists, they're not. And so they can either choose to be their own patron, meaning they go get a different job. Right? right. And then that supports their art making. Um, if they're lucky, their art can support them, but then that becomes a little dangerous because you don't want to get pigeonholed. You know what I mean? Like sure. then you have to keep making a certain thing to sell and then maybe you do that. And then you have something else that, that, you know, cause if that becomes dry to you or whatever, but it's making you money, make sure you still have the time, right. Then you view that as your job. Mm-hmm. And then you have a separate time to do uh like your creative whatever's now creative for you um or you you know your patron could be your spouse your partner it could be you know a parent whatever it may be um Mm -hmm. but i think we have to be very uh upfront about what that is right i don't know you agree with that or no uh, absolutely but i i think you know, I wonder if it's not just part of people who gravitate toward toward being an artist and making art that there's a romance behind, uh, you know, not bringing up the practical reality that we need to eat. You know, it's like, or you know, or supporters of like like we actually need money, you know, because that's the medium of exchange in our world, right? So yeah, no, there know, is this romantic, yeah, it's a kind of a romantic notion of artists, and so acknowledging know, that and yeah, and bringing that up or as a topic of discussion, just having frank, practical discussion on how to the mechanics of that. I think we all just kind of shy, or you know, generally shy away from it, and we're not kind of oriented to that, you know, perhaps enough. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, I have my undergraduate degree in international finance, and so I have never viewed business as a dry medium. So for me, like, I didn't, I don't find when like artists talk about business side, like for me, I don't feel like they're not being true to their artist self by being that way. Right. But to go to this point about the inst- the Instagram, it's a balance. It's um, I want it to be a place where people kind of can share in my process and see what I'm thinking about um, and know that they can support that. I always want them to know, like, if, you know, supporting me as an artist, that means a lot to me. I mean, it's because uh, my friends, you know, are always saying, like, I think people, it's not just what the art looks like, but it's about they want to support the person, too. Right, right. You know, they kind of want the story behind the work, right? Mm-hmm. And there's so, nothing wrong with that. Um, right? I want to give people a little bit of that story. Um, 
because I like that about artists. I want to know their stories. I'm always reading artist biographies and, you know, listening to, you know, interviews. And I find that to all be super fascinating. And, you know, as I learn more about certain artists, I actually like them less. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that, and, yeah, you know, that's and always I'm not a possibility too. anybody that's alive today, but, you know, the more I, I've kind of always had a love-hate relationship with Gauguin. And I now just hate Gauguin. Like I don't have very much love for him or his art at all anymore. And it's, you know, Mm -hmm. as I learned more about him and I find that to be an interesting thing. So I hope the opposite is true that as people learn more, like I hope that they love the work first. I hope it can stand without me standing next to it, talking about it. That's always the goal. Like it needs to be an independent entity from me. Um, and then I hope as people like learn more about it, it only becomes richer for them. I wonder about that though, what you just said, that that the work ought to be able, able to stand on its own. I understand intellectually that that idea and and something in me believes that wholeheartedly. Um, but I guess I question it a little bit just because, you know, artwork is a medium, not just you know, of, of creating an isolated thing. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking maybe, a, maybe an appropriate metaphor is like having a child. You have a child, you want them to be their own, uh, you know, agent, their own individual being in the world. But that child also represents and is connected to a history, a family, parents. They're a representative of uh, various communities that they're involved in. So there is a kind of a connective tissue there that I feel like sometimes we want to disconnect and, and kind of, um, isolate the artwork from, does that make sense? No, I hear you on that. I do. I guess what I'm talking about is a lot about, um, conceptual art. Mm. Um, a lot of art where I, I don't feel like it can stand on its own. I don't Mm. think it's, it's about a visual product at all. It's more about an idea. Right. Um, and, um, those things are valid. I'm not saying they're not valid, but that's not the business that I'm in. I am about making something that is visual. Right. And I want it to be able to be understood on its own terms, which are visual. It's a visual language. It's a visual medium. So right. I want it to have that. And then I want whatever went into it, like all the thoughts and the things about me to only make it that much better. Mm-hmm. But I... Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I think, I, yeah, I think we're agreeing. I think it's it's the same thing. Is like, you want you again to go back to the kind of child metaphor. You want them to be their own person. Yeah, and then if it just becomes all the more meaningful and more endearing to find out about their history and their family and absolutely. You know, I thought you would be the perfect person to talk about um, for this first episode of of my brand new podcast is something that I've been thinking about for such a long time and everything you just said about, uh, you know, this, about loving artists and loving learning about their process, loving, you know, that's, that's what I want this to be. I guess I'm most interested in the artist the materials that they use and why, the how and why. So I think the the materials themselves and the materials we choose and the techniques we choose uh, speak volumes about the artist, you know, personality, their being, you know, who they are. And I, I guess I'm interested in in kind of going into seeing artists through the lens, I guess, of their chosen media 
<laughs> anyway, I'm kind of overstating the overstating the purpose here. But what what I think is particularly interesting to me about you, and always has been, and and I guess an affinity I have or a kinship I feel with you is that you have a background in photography, mm-hmm. and seem to always be trying to find ways to um, combine photography with like studio practices or break photography out of just, you know, a a piece of paper that's in a frame on a wall. Um, And then now you're in a place where I don't see nearly as much photography in uh, what you're making right now. But I guess I'm, I'm interested in having that conversation of like how that might still be I don't know, a mindset or an influence or a presence in even in what you're doing now and how, uh, I don't know, that that kind of uh, tension between those two worlds. And then also just uh, maybe getting into the specific materials you're using and, and why you've chosen them, what they do for you and how you feel like they're able to uh, communicate what you're, what you're about. So there's a lot there. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Um, but let's start. Let, let's start with the photography part. Um, you started. You started with photography. Can you give us a little? Uh, give a little bit of background there. Yeah. So yeah, I love photography, and I, I think I initially, when I started taking it more seriously, I was in college. Um, I had a boyfriend that was taking a photography class, and so I would go to the dark room with him, and I fell in love with the dark room, and. You know, so much so that more like that I was way more into it than he was. And mm. um, he was like, why don't you just take the class yourself? You know, this whole like, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, OK, I will. And um, I had an amazing photography professor. Her name's Cheryl Harrison. And um, she saw something in me and really encouraged me and, um, you know, said, you you might have a gift here. And um Soon after that class, I actually went and did a study abroad program in Paris and, um, <laughs> you know, ended up hanging out with a lot of photographers and artists in Paris. And mm. I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. And um, I ended up doing a summer program in Montana that was all about photography. And just it was my thing. It just it felt so natural. It gave me. I still love, I loved the darkroom. I mean, I think that was kind of my, the image was always secondary to what I could do with it in the darkroom. Um, so tell me about that. What do you remember specifically? Was it sights, sounds? Was it the magic of seeing the image appear? Was yeah, it, the- it was kind of the, the science of it, the chemistry of it. I mean, I, mm. I really love science. Um, and I just loved kind of the tinkering of it and yeah, the magic, right? Like this idea of taking an image and you don't quite know what's going to happen. Like until you see it kind of Mm -hmm. develop in the developer, right. And kind of emerge. And I loved the magic of that. I loved that sense of surprise. Um, And then, you know, how I could later, you know, as I grew in my skill level, I could really start to manipulate photographs in the darkroom and really do some really interesting things with the materials. But, Mm -hmm. um, But in the taking of the images, it was a way of being able to see the world in a different way. And I, I, I think, you know, Sarah Moon, a really famous fashion, she's a French fashion photographer, said she photographs because she wants to see what something looks like photographed. And mm. I've always found that to be a profound statement. <laughs> um, 
it's like there's something about the learning of it. And it was interesting because, you know, I mainly worked only in black and white because I liked working in the dark room. And um, I grew so that I actually didn't see color for many years. When hmm. I mean, it's like I could see color. It's not like the, but like I was only really looking um, at light and shadow and form and like I could envision something so much better in black and white than I could in the color. Like the color was a distraction to me from the essence of whatever it was. So, um, you know, I did that for years and, you know, I ended up going to graduate school for photography. And as I, you know, got further into the program and I had a fantastic, uh, mentor there, you know, he, he ran the photography department, um, Lon Clark and, he saw that I was just pushing against these like ideas in photography that everything had to be clean and precise and, you know, the zone system and all that. And, you know, all of that's valid. I'm not saying like, that's not, it's just, it felt so confining to me. And I think a lot of people that really get into photography, um, they want to talk about their lenses and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's all about the gear. And for me, it was always about, something beyond that. It wasn't about the gear for me. It was about the ideas behind the image making. So he encouraged me to take paper making classes and, you know, sculpture classes and metal and, you know, all of these kinds of things, which, you know, were really outside of the photography purview of where I was, but um, they really saved me. And I had, you know, some professors that really introduced me to some artists that were really questioning the photograph and doing interesting things with it. And I ended up after graduating, um, interning with the Starn twins for a summer in Brooklyn at their studio, who they were doing fantastic things with photography. Um, so I feel like I just, I had a lot of exposure to thinking outside of the box of what the photograph could or should be that it was now just seen as a tool, not mm-hmm. as the end, th- you know, as the end object. It was, it was a tool in my tool belt that I could use because, you know, after a while I would only photograph a few times a year and then I would work with those photographs for months. You know, Mm. I wasn't the kind that was shooting all the time and, you know, everybody that's a real, I'm putting that in quotes, a real photographer, they shoot every day. They always have a camera on them and all of this. And so it just, I felt really conflicted about that. And then as, you know, time went on and I started to have a family at the same time that I started to have a family, dark rooms just died, you know, everything became digital. And I realized that I don't like sitting in front of a computer. Um, You know, the, the, the image making was never, you know, the number one for me, it was like number two or three on the list Mm -hmm. of, you know, priorities of, you know, in my, and so I had to take a few years while I was having kids, I had to reinvent myself as an artist to say, Mm -hmm. if I can't have a dark room anymore, what do I do? Mm. Because I was printing photographs on collages and metal and, you know, like really different materials and being still very experimental. And I really loved that. But you know, when that was all gone, uh, you know, I, I tried to work with printers and doing things and I got all the stuff that, you know, you can have to, you know, I was running everything through printers and, you know, ruining printer after printer. And, you know, mm-hmm. I was just doing things and, mm-hmm. and it just all felt, it felt so mechanical in some way, even the way the ink sat on the paper for a digital print, 
even if I coated it with, you know, these things that you can, you know, can coat it on like fabrics and, you know, more other papers, like it all just still, it didn't feel the same as when I could work in the dark room. And so uh, the textures were wrong. The, the blacks were wrong. Um, I couldn't get them how I wanted. And so I, I spent years just experimenting and I don't know what happened. I just started making just collages without the images. I, I mean, I still had a lot of imagery and I'd cut it up and, you know, it would go into the collage until finally there's very little of the photograph left. I wonder if you've, you've had the experience that I've have is as, as you have a family, as you start having kids, there's this winnowing that happens just naturally because you don't have as much time and, and necessarily things just have to be shed so and and it kind of just naturally refines what you're what you're doing to the most essential because it, there's just you know a practicality of the amount of time and energy and resources you have. So yeah, I, it could be. Do you think that's did you think that's part of it just like having having kids is just make forces you to to figure out what is the most essential. You know, I've never thought about that because for me it was that there were no dark rooms anymore for me to work in. Like it was, that was the issue. Um, And, but yeah, maybe it was that also a a time thing. Um, Do you think if there were dark rooms reintroduced, like somehow they they become uh, popular again and and people want to go out and do that? Do you think you go back to that or do you think you've- uh, No, I've thought about it recently, um, you know, because I'm in the process of, you know, building an art studio and- um, you know, my husband's asked me, do you want to have space in there for a dark room? And I said, I don't want to sacrifice the space for that because the way that I work in a dark room is I can get everything done I need in three weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, if I go, like if I can just rent someone's dark room for a week, but I have to have complete control over that dark room. I mean, mm-hmm. the way that I work is I cannot work with other people in the space. Um, if I could do that, I'd be set. I have not found anybody that will allow me to work like that <laughs> um, in LA. Um, and, you know, I kind of stopped looking after a while, but, the th- you know, it's the thing like, yeah, I think I would totally go right back in there and I would do it. And I, and I think the work would be even better than what I was doing before. Um, so I'll ha- I, I need to think about, you know, and see if I can find somebody to do that for, but, you know, it, right now, um, there's things about photography that still show up in my work, which I find to be really interesting in the sense of um, I do printmaking. You know, I draw using a printmaking technique, and it's you know not really typical. And I come from printmaking, not really having any printmaking experience at all. So mm-hmm. I just kind of make up my own ways of doing it. And mm-hmm. um, but I draw on the backs of the paper. So it picks up the ink on the front. You know, I coat a piece of acrylic, you know, with my ink and then I put the paper face down and I draw on the back with my hands, with scissors, with dried out pens. So I can't actually see what I'm drawing. And I draw, and you have to think of the composition backwards. And I often do it upside down as well. And it's, it's the same as looking through an eight by 10 camera right? Because it was always upside down and backwards and your Mm -hmm. brain would have to flip it around to make sense of it. 
Oh, that's interesting. So I'm actually drawing in the way that I used to look all the time through a viewfinder. And Mm -hmm. I think that's fascinating. Um, And my drawing is only in black and white. I also find that to be interesting. I don't draw in any other colors. Um, So like the bones of the piece, right? The essential of what it's about is still very much referencing how I used to see and, and how I make sense of the world. Um, you know, and then the collage materials kind of come in and that's where the color may or may come, you know, not come into the piece depending on what it's about. But, um, yeah, I find that, you know, these kind of, these references to, they don't leave you like your education and how you're formed and shaped and how you see the world. It's the same, whether I'm using an eight by 10 camera or now I'm drawing you know, blind pretty much, you know, I can't see the drawing because um, I choose to use things that I can't see with because I also like the magic of seeing what happens, right? It's that dark room moment, right? Oh, it's the developer really and it's slowly emerging. Right. I turn the drawing back over and I can see it again. Hmm. I find that to be so satisfying, um, you know, and it's, it, you know, it works for me. I don't know if it would work for anybody else, but um, well, I think I think that's really interesting. Like you, you're you found a way to introduce, uh, you know, a process that brings back some of the alchemy, some of the magic of that mm-hmm. you know, of of developing a black and white photograph. That is, uh, I think there's something so important there. Like for me, I've my one of my the the, the things that I struggle with is I tend to get too uh, locked in on you know too too tight about how i'm rendering i've got you know too much control so i've to to combat that what i do is i tend to take a piece of sandpaper and periodically just give my best scrub over the whole thing just to like have a physical representation that you know you can't get too precious about this stuff you know anyway i i think it's it's interesting how we we find processes to to kind of combat or reintroduce the the important, I don't know, psychological or emotional aspects of of the creative process. And it's interesting to me that you your entry point into art making was that magic in the in the dark room. And you found a way to translate that into a studio art practice. That's I don't know, that's that's really cool. Yeah, well, I mean, it was I had to, right? I mean, it's like it's not like I was gonna stop making. Right. Well, I made a lot of bad stuff for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, that's also key. That perhaps is the most important lesson is that, you know, you just got to be willing to, to make a lot of bad stuff to get to the good stuff. Yeah. And I mean, also part of, I mean, talking about materials and process, like I don't throw anything away. So all those mistakes that I made, all the things that, you know, were on the, they're in bins that I end up tearing up and putting in another piece. So Mm. For me, they don't feel like failures. And, you know, uh, something that I've been thinking about lately, because as I've been trying to figure out what I'm doing, um, (laughs) you know, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but it's like you go into the studio and you have all these great ideas and you do them, right? And you're like, man, I'm really in the zone and this is fantastic, you know, and then you're done with your session for that day. And then you you go back the next day and you're like, what happened here? I can't, Mm. this is horrible. Oh yeah. (laughs) All these ideas are like the worst. I can't even, I can't even look at it. It's, it's hard for me. Um, you know, and so the beauty about collage is, you know, well, I just start covering them up again and, but I love having them peek out 
Mm-hmm. I love having those those mistakes and layers peek out from the work. Um, and I also realized that I can't, I have to believe that every mark I'm making is the right one while I'm mm-hmm. working. Like it yeah. can't be like, oh, you know, I'll just cover this up later. It doesn't really matter. No, it matters. It matters a lot that like each day I show up, I do my very best and I try to make the best choices that I can that day. And then the next day, a new person steps in, right? And is like, wow, either, it, you know, sometimes it's still good. And sometimes it's like, no, that that was really wrong. You really went down a bad path. But it's not like I beat myself up about it either. I think that's so interesting because I'm, I'm totally opposite. Like, I cannot believe that. I, I can't let myself believe that what I'm doing right now matters. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's the right way of saying it, but like for me, when I start a piece, I need to scribble. I need to just mm-hmm. destroy the 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 perfectness of the white canvas. You know, get something on there. Sure. That purposefully is ugly, nasty, wrong, wrong color, wrong line in the wrong place. Something just to destroy the the pristineness. And, and I, also it's something to go up against. True. Yeah. But I always need to know that it's like, I can, I can always, it's no big deal. I can just, Oh yeah. I can just get rid of it. You know, this, this doesn't matter what I'm doing right now. You know, this isn't the real thing yet. You know, like the real thing's going to come later. That's interesting because I feel like the energy of whatever that was is still in my work. Mm. Even if no one can see it, the energy of it is still there in the work. And I had take that seriously. Not that like, it's like a weight on my shoulders, like everything you need to make, but it's like today, this is what I think there should be this blue line here. And then the next day it's like, wow, that is really the wrong blue, Mm. but, um, it will still peak out. You know what I mean? And so, and it will end up somehow working. Right. And I find that to be, it's almost like, like, it's like how I'm trying to make sense of my life, you know, or, or life in general. Like there's so much there's so much bad. And this is something I kind of, you know, I feel like every artist um, has something that's like their like center, right? That's like kind of what all their work is about. Even if they make work about lots of different things, there's usually something that is kind of the mm-hmm. unifier in it. And I feel like mine is tension. And um, it's this idea that I constantly live with tension. I believe all things could be true and nothing could be true all at the same time. You know, it's this idea of, of both and, and so is there a way that they can, that can live visually in a piece? Mm. I find that to be fascinating. And so whether it's, I'm doing landscapes that aren't really about landscapes, but about, you know, inner things, or if it's about figures that aren't necessarily about figures either. You know, it's this idea of tension and sometimes it's visual, right? Visual tension, but sometimes it's the ideas that are behind it that are at tension and they're manifesting, right? So um, I don't know. I just, I think it's, I, for me, it's important to understand that about the work because it gives me a way to approach it. And, you know, I was doing this workshop, the Lon Clark, who I was talking about at my graduate program, he left soon after I finished and started his own school in San Francisco. And I would go back for workshops. And there was this one that we were doing, I think it was a figure drawing workshop. Yeah. 
And as we were like looking at all the work that we had made over the period of three days, um, you know, he asked like, well, which one was the hardest for you to do, but which one, you know, and then it was like, we talked about it and he's like, well, which one is the, you know, the strongest. And it's usually the one that we had the most difficulty with. And he, he was mm-hmm. like, you know, why is that? And for me, the answer was um, like drawing from, <laughs> uh, from a figure in front of me is unbelievably difficult because, you know, I'm going up against the real spatial constraints. Like how far away is this thing? You know, all these ideas that kind of, but, but for me, having something to bump up against makes Mm. the work even better. Like for me, I love seeing that struggle of trying to find the line. Mm -hmm. And if I'm just like working for my imagination, like I can get really carried away with myself so much that it ends up a pile of mess. But if I'm, if there's something that is like, you know, like a wall that I keep hitting, so then I have to kind of veer, it always makes the work stronger. And sometimes my walls are ideas and sometimes they are visual, you know, physical things that I'm looking at. But um, it seems like that you're constructing that on your own canvas, mm-hmm. you know, with your whatever, you know, just to kind of mess up. Um you can't help but then have to, whether or not you cover it up, you still have to confront that line or scribble or color that you did. Mm-hmm. Right. I That's an interesting way of seeing it, seeing it as a wall or, or uh, an obstacle or because it is enabling in a way, right? It, it's both, it's, I guess, simultaneously restrictive and enabling. It, you know, puts a... It's a constraint for which you can be free in, which I find, again, and that's the that's the ultimate paradox, right? Perhaps is that you need both. You need the in order to be free, you have to have parameters. Yeah, you have to have uh, constraints. Yes, I talk Uh, to my students about this all the time. Like, you know, there's that movie that was at Sundance, I don't know, a long time ago, called The Five Obstructions, which is very much about this idea of constraints and. Um, the more constraints you have, the better the art becomes. Really fascinating film. Um, but, you know, I'm talking to the students, like I said, what's the most paralyzing thing for an artist? And they're, and they're like, I don't know, like, you know, you telling us what to make, you know, it's always about me, like telling them what to make, right, you know, right. and I'm like, I actually think the most paralyzing thing is for me to not tell you anything. You can use any material, make anything you want, like right. you know, blah, 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 blah. I was like, you can be paralyzed by options. For sure. You know, and you can just spend hours doing a bunch of nothing being paralyzed because you can't figure out what to do, how to go forward. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think constraints are are really helpful and it is a paradox. And it's also one that I find in my life, too. Um, and yet I kind of acted out in the studio. So I find mm-hmm. that to be an interesting process, too. Well, speaking of constraints, one other thing that I would like to to kind of dig into is Another aspect of your work um, that I appreciate and that I, seems like a, an important thing is is kind of going beyond the rectangle, right? So in photography, I know you were tearing up photographs, you were mm-hmm. you know taping them together, you were doing multi layers, so it would become more three dimensional. And in your painting, it, now you're I don't know how long you've been doing this, but it, it's a relatively new thing I think that you're painting on unstretched canvases, right? Um, yeah, I do that sometimes. Uh, mainly I'm working on paper 
But um, so interesting that you bring this up because that is, I want the work to become less and less about the rectangle. What does that represent to you? Why, why is that important? I'm not sure, actually. You know, I the, the my current body of work, which is all these like landscapes, you know, which was inspired by Yosemite and mainly the American West landscape, you know, kind of the skin of the land um, and the piece of wild things, like these poems that are about, about nature. Um, the, the body of work right before that, um, which I'm still fascinated by, and it kind of got looked over um, as this other work kind of came online and people really liked it, but it was um, about the creation of elements and I did not work in a rectangular frame for most of it. Um, and I still look at that work and I somehow want to merge those ideas that I was working with because they feel like maquettes for like bigger things with these landscapey things that I'm doing. And I, I haven't taken the leap yet. That's something I've been writing about just recently about how to go about that. And I do think the unstretched canvas is part of it. Um, I think sewing is part of it. Um, mm -hmm. So um, because I use sewing as a way to draw, um, it was so interesting. I My sewing machine, I thought was broken, but it's because I actually don't know how to use it that well. And so we went to this <laughs> shop to get it fixed. And she's like, oh, you just have this. Like, that's all that you needed to do. And I was like, oh, okay. And then she starts asking me all these questions about my sewing machine. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I only use it to draw lines. Like, <laughs> you know, all this, all these words you're telling me are beyond my understanding. I just want to be able to use this to make lines. Um, so it was just like, I was like, wow, I'm really out of my depths with this woman um, and her sewing abilities. But I think that I think there's something about, um, I don't like being put in a box and I don't like my ideas being put in a box. And so I want the work to reflect that. I want the work to feel like it could go in different directions. Um, I don't know if that really answers it, but I mean, that's where I'm beginning to go with it. I think it's just interesting in the in the context of what we were just talking about with constraints. Like that particular constraint is one that is hard it, that that you don't want to respect, you know, or that that is not a productive constraint for you. No. You know Whereas a lot of people, my, I think myself included, a lot of times it's it is helpful to me. It's empowering to me to have that decision made and to have that assumption always be there that this these are the boundaries of what it, whatever it is I'm creating. And that frees me up to just focus on, you know, what's going on. I say that, you know, also I've personally been exploring, you know, shaped, shaped canvases or shaped surfaces as well. So that's not entirely true, but I think that for many people is the case, like knowing that the format is set, you know, is empowering. Whereas it sounds to me like that's something that is always kind of been nagging. And, and I think all of us probably have, you know, some people don't like the constraints of certain media and feel like it's not quite enough or not en enabling them to get where they want to go. You know, yeah, no, I agree. And it's figuring out why. I mean, it's mm -hmm. some like I feel like you kind of find your way into that answer, right? But right. if you have to understand the question that you're asking, like, yeah. why is it that I can't stand like hard edges? 
Right. You know? I think that's so. I, I think that's so interesting. And and you know my my studio mate David yes. David Lloyd. Um, so I look at his work and he's he does these big shaped, um, yes. uh, you know, combinations of different pieces of huge huge cuts of wood that he makes, and then he's got all sorts of different media that are combined. I looked at those shapes and they so clearly and authentically embody him and his personality. Like I could not. If I saw a painting that he did that was rectangular, I think, you know, or you'd like, say, David, what's wrong? He's like, what happened? <laughs> I, I think I'd have a hard time feeling like David was there. You know? Right. I don't know. I think it's so, so interesting how, how we kind of find a way to uh, embody ourselves in these objects that we make, you know, or have them be an, an authentic expression of something that is core to who we are. Anyway, I um, I look at your work and it, there is that authenticity there that is so compelling and makes me, you know, it doesn't, you, some work I feel like you can look at and you're like, ah, I'm not sure if, if I'm seeing somebody here or if I'm seeing a projection of something they want to be. Does that make sense? All the time. And, and then, All the time. and then, uh, you know, sometimes you come across work and you're like, you really get a sense for a human being, for a soul, for an identity behind that work. And uh, that's something that I've always felt about your work and, uh, you know, definitely appreciate. And um, well, thank you, Trent. That means a lot. And, and for that reason and many others, it was a you know pleasure to have you be the first guest on this show. Absolutely. Thanks for, no, thank thanks you. for making the time. Yes. No, I'm, I'm excited for this podcast that you're doing. That's yeah. I love that you're, you're constantly not reinventing, but like experimenting. It feels like wild experimentation. And I love that. <laughs> that is part of who I'm just accepting. I am is I am a compulsive dabbler. I cannot stay still in one place doing the same thing for too long. Like I'm always just feel like I'm looking for the next thing to learn about and try and for better or for worse, we are who we are. Thank you, Jackie, for making time to talk with me. If you're interested in learning more about Jackie and seeing more of her work, you can go directly to her website at JackieLeishman.com. That's spelled J-A-C-K-I-E-L-E-I-S-H-M-A-N.com. And I will also put a link to her site in the show notes at dabalon.com forward slash podcast. Join me every week for another artist interview. Subscribe or make a one-time contribution to support this podcast at dabalon.com. That's D-A-B-B-L-E-O-N.com, where you can also find more information about my art classes and other art-related content. And most importantly, go make something. Find a tube of paint to squish out, cut up an old painting, glue it back together, Get messy.